Welcome to another inspiring podcast from C3 New Hope. For more information about our church and its locations, please visit our website at c3newhope.com.au. Thank you, Lou. Good morning, everyone. Morning, everyone. How are you? Good to see you. Happy Mother's Day. Not to you and I, Phil, but you know. Happy Mother's Day to the mums. Uh, we want to also say that those who perhaps don't always have a magnificent day on Mother's Day, because as we know, these days can be tricky for some people. We're praying for those mums and those families. Is that right? Help me out, somebody. Are we, are we praying for those who need our prayers? Absolutely. And uh, I was, uh, as some of you may have been, I was so inspired by... Um, an Instagram and Facebook post by your lovely daughter, um, Bethany Eid, a couple of days ago, who so eloquently pointed out the fact that uh, Mother's Day can be tricky for lots of people, and it's important that we do both things on Mother's Day, which is celebrate people who have joy on a day like today, but also stand with those who have a difficult time. And it's, it doesn't have to be either or, it can be both. So... Uh, this is my wife, Claire. If you haven't met us, this is my wife, Claire. This is my daughter, Olivia, right here. And my son, Noah, is over there somewhere, uh, I think, chewing the ears off of the other children and getting his word quota out, hopefully. Um, it's great to be here. I think the last time I was here was, gee, did I come up last year? I can't remember. Who's with me? The last 18 months is just a total blur. You don't know what day it is, what time it is. Forget your name. You don't know where you're from. It's just a blur. But we're here today. And uh, I have a simple but hopefully encouraging message. So if you've got a Bible, why don't you grab that? I do have a few simple practical notes that I want to share with you also. And uh, why don't you, in advance, turn your Bible to Judges chapter 2, which I know sounds heavy. We're going into Judges first thing on a Sunday morning, but it's going to be okay. Um, you know, I have a lot of people, especially in the current climate uh, of what's going on in the world, and there's a lot going on in the world, a lot of probably the most fragmented uh, the world has been, certainly in a long time, if not ever. And so a lot of people are conscious of what's happening and where are we going and why this and why that and why the other. And it's, I think it's really important that in the house of God, we actually have something to say. Who agrees with me? We ought not be silent. Uh, in an hour where people are scared, uh, I don't know how you personally respond to when we hear different things in the news. I know how my heart responds. Sometimes I'm very, very fast just to flick it off because I don't want to onboard other people's panic and other people's fear. And, you know, we do notice that in tricky situations like we're dealing with, with COVID and so forth, it's, um, it's not helpful really when we find our mainstream media using the most elaborate language they possibly can when, you know, obviously we have an issue to deal with in our society, but we're certainly not dealing with the difficulties that a place like India is dealing with, for example. Nevertheless, we hear our media commentators talking about the panic and the scare and the fright of two more infections. And I'm, <laughs> I'm being slightly facetious there, obviously, and I'm not downplaying the fact that it is a real issue for lots of people. I'm just saying we've got to make sure that we don't onboard other people's overreactions or overdramatizations and suddenly find ourselves in a place of fear when God has called us to walk by faith. Can I get an amen? Now, that doesn't mean that because you walk by faith, everything will be 
okay all the time. Most of us are mature enough to know that things are quite the opposite of okay at times, but that still doesn't take away the fact that God wants us to walk by faith, to trust him. And so as the church, I think that's our first call is to be a house of faith. Can I get one amen? The people, when they come into the house of God, should feel like what these guys led us so wonderfully in in worship this morning. God is faithful. He's there for us. He's with us. He hasn't forgotten us. I love scriptures like where David talks and he says, I used to be young, now I'm old. I'm relating to that verse more often every day. I used to be young, but now I'm old. And he says, and in that duration, I've never yet seen the righteous forsaken. Which in itself is an interesting thought because there are none who are righteous except Jesus, except for the fact that under his covering, we have been made the righteousness of God. So God is so kind that he makes us righteous and then he stays by our side. The house of God, first of all, must be a house of faith. Secondly, we must be a house of prayer. Now, there's many, many expressions of prayer. We know that. There's petitioning prayer. There's interceding prayer. There's prayer in tongues. There's prayer in our natural language. There's prayer during worship. There's many kinds of prayer. It's so important that we don't lose our grip on prayer in this hour. I've said that my personal conviction of where we are going uh, in the kingdom of God in today's world is I believe that circumstances and the onslaught of a dark kingdom. Both of those things are pushing the church and the kingdom of God into a corner from which the church is going to launch out into its finest hour in history. However, the travel between here and there may be a little rocky, <laughs> which is to say, in case you haven't noticed, many people in the world have already decided that the church and Christianity and faith, and they like to use all-encompassing words like religion, many have decided that we are living in a post-modern, God-irrelevant era where the rest of the world feels so enlightened, or the word woke comes to mind. People are so woke by their own evaluation and they're so enlightened about the fact that they have become more wise than the rest of us because they've gotten over this thing of religion. They've climbed over this hurdle of believing that there's a supreme being. We've become wiser than that. And yet the trail of human history reveals that every time humanity gets to that stage, there is a deep, deep plunge until we come to our senses, get on our knees and call out to God and then huge, huge sovereign awakenings of our God break out all over the earth. That's where we're headed again. No shadow of a doubt about it. And again, this is why I say the house of God's got to be a house of faith and prayer, lest we find ourselves tracking downhill into that same morass of negativity and doom and it's all terrible and what are we going to do when the whole church around the world is shut down and we're not allowed to be Christians anymore and hang on whoa, 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 whoa. hold the horses for a minute there is nothing on planet earth no legislation no regime no military power no platform no anything that can actually extinguish the fire of Jesus Christ alive inside my heart and as long as the flicker burns in one heart, it contains all the necessary ingredients to kickstart a wildfire that touches the whole planet. You can't kill Christianity. Sometimes we need to be reminded of that alone. It's like, oh yeah, 
that's right, yeah. I kind of was, you know, imagining this era where it's like, oh, we're, we're all going to be postmodernists and none of us are going to have any faith. No, no, you can't kill Christianity. You can't kill Christianity any, any more than they could kill Jesus. Hello? <laughs> and in fact, again, if we become students of even you know, the real modern history. I joke about the fact that high school students these days, they think modern history is between now and like Easter Sunday just gone. Um, if we be actual students of history, we will discover that every single time you try to over-persecute the church, it explodes with growth. The more you try to extinguish this flame, the more it burns bright. So we can't afford for other people's sake and our own sake to fall into that trap of thinking, oh no, what's going to happen? Well, I have a conviction myself about what's going to happen. We are being pushed into a corner that in the long run is going to be good for us. Which corner is that? That corner is a corner where society is trying to restrain and contain the believers and the churches into a small space so that we can be confronted with this challenge. And the challenge the world has, I believe, for the church is, is this phrase I use where it's they, they're gonna say to us, either put up or shut up. In other words, what the world needs is a God-believing, supernatural power-moving, Holy Spirit ministry flowing, Bible-believing, praying church that has a gospel that is unashamed. This is why Paul preached in Romans 1. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. You can imagine that somebody had just challenged him in a way where they said, isn't it a bit embarrassing to be a preacher these days? You could imagine that kind of contest being put towards the Apostle Paul when he was penning that chapter in Romans 1. It's like, Paul, like seriously, we all know who you used to be before you went through this weird you know, conversion and saw the light and found faith and religion. Good on you, but aren't you a bit embarrassed? You used to be a respected theologian. People used to actually sit and study with you and now you're one of these weirdo Pentecostal preachers. Isn't that a bit embarrassing, Paul? And in verse 16, he goes, not only am I not embarrassed, I'm completely unashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation. And you can kind of feel the ground reverberating around that community when he spoke those words and people went, oh, flip, there was something I just felt there. Because what he's saying is true then, it needs to be true now. That the gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God under salvation. And we as a church, we as believers are not to fear the future. Can I get an amen? We must not fear the future. Are there going to be some waves? Yes. <laughs> Is there going to be some persecution? Yes. Is there going to be some challenge? Yes. But guess what? We're not being marched down the town square to be fed to lions yet. We're doing better than some of the brothers and the sisters were. Could it get darker? It probably will. However, where we are going is very clear that the world is wanting to know either your gospel works or it doesn't. And if it doesn't stop preaching to us. This is why we're so well positioned in C3 New Hope and hundreds of churches like ours because we believe in the real gospel. We believe in transformation. We believe in supernatural miracles. We're not trying to get people to come to church so that we can smash them with a list of rules that are powerless. Put your hand up if you're the same as me. You don't want to go to church to a place that just gives you powerless traditions either. I don't want to go there. I'm with the rest of the crowd who are cranky at religion. I don't want religion either. I want to know a real God who actually knows me 
I can experience His love and His grace and His blessing and I can actually have the life of God that the Bible actually promises. I don't want us to be fearful. I am certain we're going to a good place. There could be some bumps in the road on the way there. However, we need to have confidence in God and faith in our hearts that everything's going to be okay. Can I get one small or medium-sized amen? Thank you. So in Judges chapter 2, we read this fascinating and mildly frightening passage of Scripture that I think is speaking to us in the church again in this current hour. As I said a few moments ago, a lot of people are saying to me, what do you think is going to happen? What do you believe? And what should we be doing? One of the things I don't think many of us are called to, hardly any of us, I don't think we're called to spend the best part of our energy in engaging in the political climate. For example, you might think that God has called you to be a Facebook warrior. I'd get that checked with a few smart Christians, like 39 of them, before you go ahead and you know, walk down that pathway. Does, do, some people are saying, oh, we've got to be active on Facebook. We've got to, well, if we're not active in faith and prayer and believe in God first, forget the rest of the stuff. I don't think we're called to get out there and wear sandwich boards and abuse everything. Don't get me wrong, I think there's a small handful of people that God is raising up in this hour to be a voice into those kinds of climates, like the political scene and others. But unless you are certain God has called you to that, we are better staying with the main thing. And I want to present to you right here some of what I believe is the main thing for all of us. In Judges chapter 2, I'm going to read to you from verse 7, this uh, quite frightening passage that could be our experience as well. This could happen to us but it's in our hands to make sure that it doesn't. Verse seven, the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord, which he had done for Israel. Verse eight, now Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord died when he was 110 years old. Who wants to live to 110? Who thinks they'll be well and truly cooked by then and you'd rather go earlier? I'm probably in the second group. He, he died, but he was 110. And they buried him within the border of his inheritance at Timnah Heret in the mountains of Ephraim on the north side of Mount Gash. Verse 10, this is what I really want us to pay attention to this morning. When all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord. We're on that precipice, everybody. In the next 20 to 30 years, maybe shorter. We are on that potential precipice that another generation could arise behind us who do not know the Lord. Now I'm gonna qualify what I mean by that in a moment, but let's finish the passage here. They did not know the Lord, look at this, nor the work which he had done for Israel. Now think about the obvious. If you weren't personally there to witness the work that the Lord did for Israel, how would you know about what God did for Israel unless somebody told you? Which is a massive hint for where we're going in our message this morning. Verse 11, then, now so see the sequence. A generation arose without knowing the Lord. They didn't know about the incredible things he'd done for them. The next thing that happened, verse 11, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals, false gods. It gets worse. 
and they forsook the Lord God of their fathers who had brought them out of the land of Egypt and they followed other gods from among the gods of the people who were all around them and they bowed down to them and they provoked the Lord to anger. We should stop there because it'll get too dark and it's happy Mother's Day. So we've got to keep it a little bit light. But you can see what I'm saying. A generation was allowed to grow up around the house of God who number one, didn't know the Lord. Number two, didn't know the incredible things he'd done. Now I wanna say this, which is really important. Whether you are a biological mother or father, whether you are more of a spiritual mother or father, whether your children are grown up and are adults and are long gone, whether you just wish they were grown up and adults and long gone, whatever category you find yourself in, we are all called to hold a baton in this relay race and it must get passed to the next generation. It's more than just youth ministry. It's more than just kids ministry. It's about holding what God has called us to hold for as long as He tells us to hold it. Why? If we don't, another generation can rise up who don't know the Lord. Now, let's really capture this clearly. The Scripture is not saying that there were people in Israel who didn't know about the Lord. There's a lot of people in today's world who know about the Lord, but that can be the beginning of the problem. We need to make sure we're raising a generation with us, around us, behind us, who actually know the Lord. That means to know the truth about Him and to experience it personally. The problem with only knowing about the Lord is you are subject to where you get the story from. And what if you get the story from someone else who only knew about the Lord? In case you haven't noticed, there are people on programs on TV like Q&A on the ABC, one of the last bastions of incredible truth, he said incredibly sarcastically. There are people on that program who think they know the Lord because they know the name Jesus. They know how to say it. They know how to say church. They know how to say religion. They know how to say how weird is a prime minister who speaks in tongues. They know how to say lots of weird or wonderful or familiar things about religion and faith. That by no means suggests that they actually know the Lord because to know the Lord is to follow Him. In case you haven't read the Gospels, every time Jesus heals a blind man, the first reaction of the the, the once blind man who's now been healed is he wants to drop everything and follow him. What's the message to us? The message is people need their eyes open to have a revelation about who Jesus really is. Imagine if those blind men who got healed only ever heard stories about Jesus and it never touched their life personally in their circumstances. Well, then they might have subscribed to the idea that he was a good man. He was a good rabbi. He was a good teacher. He was pretty good with words. Used to be able to hold a crowd quite well when he preached. But that's all they'd know. What they needed was a personal, individual, eye-opening experience to realise this Jesus I've heard about is everything they've told me and more. We as Christians have got to hold a belief in our hearts that if people see, someone say if, If people see the real Jesus for who He is, they will follow Him. (laughs) We've got this weird thing that's crept into our theology where we believe that some people will have their eyes opened, get a true revelation of Jesus as the Son of God, the Messiah of the world, and yet still decide to walk away. Nonsense. The problem with people not following Jesus is always caught up in people not seeing Jesus. 
This is why 2 Corinthians 4.4 says, the God of this age has blinded the eyes of men and women so that their eyes are veiled to the gospel we preach. In other words, the unveiling of the eyes is sufficient for people to commit in their hearts to follow Jesus Christ. We as the church have an obligation to the world to make sure we're preaching the real gospel in all its power, in all its fullness, that Jesus loves them, that Jesus died on the cross, that Jesus saves and transforms a life. Can I get amen? And so we need to help raise a generation who don't just know about the Lord, but they personally know the Lord. I want you to flip over into 2 Timothy chapter 1. Are we doing all right? Is this a bit too much for Mother's Day? How many of you are sitting there thinking, oh, why, did, why do we have to invite this guy on Mother's Day? I was just hoping for, you know, a sermon of point one, God loves mums. Point two, God wants to bless mums. Point three, you can be a mum too. All right, uh, 2, Timothy, <laughs> 2 Timothy chapter one, look at this. We are reading the Apostle Paul talking to his spiritual son, Timothy. In verse three, he says, I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience as my forefathers did, as without ceasing, I remember you in my prayers night and day. How powerful is that? This is not even his biological son and he's saying, every single day I pray for you. Lou prayed it earlier in the service, so powerful. We're thankful for those mums or dads, related or not, who have prayed for us. Who's thankful for those who have prayed for them? I am certain that there are thousands of prayers that have been prayed for me that I haven't got the clue in the world what was said, but it was heard by God and it's made a difference in my life. Paul here is saying, I've prayed for you all the time, verse four, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears that I may be filled with joy when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you. This is what our world's looking for, people, a genuine faith. Are we real? Are we authentic? Do we have a story? Can we tell a friend at work or at school or at uni? Can we tell them how we used to be blind, but now we can see? How we used to be lost, but now we've been found? People want to know that there's something real to our faith. Look at this. Paul says, I call to remembrance the genuine faith that's in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois. Lois sounds like she. And your mother Eunice. Somebody say Lois. Say it like a Scottish person, Lois. Lois and Eunice. And I am persuaded is in you also. Okay, you're watching this? Paul is thankful for the faith held down by other generations, which has played a part in Timothy now having faith in his life. He's connecting the obvious dots by saying, Timbo, your grandma was a good Christian woman. And because of her faith, your mother was a good Christian woman. And because of her faith, it's helped you to become a good Christian man. <laughs> I knew you wanted to do that, so I left a space. There's a generational connection that is so important. And right here, think about this for a moment. We don't hear about Lois and Eunice. I don't, want, I don't know why I want them to be Scottish women, but in my head, they're Scottish and um, they're wearing tartan and um, they're, they're baking haggis. And anyway, we see them in scripture here. We never read about them ever again. We don't read about them before this. We never hear about them ever again. We don't know what kind of life they lived, but it was a life worthy enough to be recorded in the book of books forever 
as Timothy, the great pastor of an incredible church, Paul, the super apostle is saying, Timothy, part of why you're so strong is because the generation before you and the generation before them didn't drop the ball on making sure that you knew the Lord. So, so crucial. And he goes on to say in this same passage, he says, therefore, isn't this great? Because you are connected to those who went before you. And now Timothy is the guy who's on main stage. Grandma was, then mum was, but now Timothy's generation is on main stage in the kingdom. And Paul says, therefore, because now it's up to you, Timothy, I remind you, stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit but of power and of love and of sound mind. What does the world need us as the church to have in this hour? To not have a spirit of fear, but a spirit of love, power and a sound mind and that we be people who know how and remember how to stir up the gift of God that's on the inside. Sometimes I've said to our church over the years that maybe the best, I don't know if this is true or not, but I'll put it out there, but maybe the best strength or asset that I've brought to our church in the time that I've been leading is a a healthy dose of mongrel. (laughs) Maybe that's close to my best spiritual gift. I say it half jokingly, but what I mean is I am not easily perturbed. Once I've made up my mind, I believe something about God, it's really hard for you to push me off that mark. And I believe they're the kind of Christians, the kind of pastors, but more importantly, the kind of mums, dads, youth leaders, kids workers, teachers, they're the kind of Christians we need in today's world who say, I believe the Word of God. I don't care if you peer pressure me on Facebook. I didn't want your likes anyway. That one, that one, that one. I'm not interested. We need to be people who hold on to the Word of God whether we get legislated against or not. Now, a little secret here. I've had many pastors over the last 12 months ask me, what have you guys done about singing and all the rest of it? You know, people bleating on Facebook, dear Gladys, we can yell at the football. When will you let us sing? I'm going to say something a little bit vague and you can like finish off the sentence for yourself. I'm not, I've got to say it real calm, like I'm not really, you know, over-opinionated, Dave. I'm not waiting for Gladys, as delightful as she is as a premier, to tell me when I'm allowed to worship my God. I'm going to sing in my car. (laughs) I sang here this morning. I'm going to be COVID safe. I'm going to wash my hands. I went to the toilet before. I washed my hands. I need you to know that any germs that were on my hands, I washed them off. There is a measure where we've got to go, all right, at what point here are we starting to be told by the government or the people around us that we're not allowed? I'm not talking about sandwich boards. I'm not talking about going parading in the public square, but I'm talking about do we have enough faith on the inside to go, no, God's given me wisdom, I can use my brain here, I'm happily to, happy to social distance, but I was at the football the other week too, spitting and yelling all over the people next to me as they spat all over me. We spat on each other as we cheered for our uh, relevant teams and we yelled at the referee and spat in, there were many droplets going towards the ground. Many, many droplets in the air. <laughs> I'm not going to bow the knee and not worship and sing. That's the belief for me. And it's that kind of attitude that says, I'm not going to be a trouble stirrer, but I am gonna know what my conviction is and what my belief is. I'm going to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, whether it's popular or not. And I do believe we're headed to a time where we're gonna be legislated against more aggressively. Those of you who've been fearing it, stop fearing it, just expect it, and then you won't have to have, 
you know, concerns when you get there. Of course it's going to happen, please. But that doesn't matter. We're being pushed into a corner where the supernatural power of God is going to flow because many of the people who are presently opposing us are going to be the people who need the miracles and the gospel and the community of the house of God when we get to that corner. We have to hold this relay baton. And for our young people, this little crowd over here who right now think, I I like going to church on Sunday because I get to colour in. And uh, it's awesome that's what they think. Those of you who haven't met us yet may not be aware of the fact that we are currently in a transition year, handing over the leadership of the church to new pastors next year. And my son, who is seven, his first question that he asked when we told our kids about the change, his first question was, Mom, Dad, will I still be able to run around after church in the morning? He doesn't care whether dad's got a title or not. He just wants to know, is it good fun to go to church? They don't know yet what kind of relay race they're going to have to be running in 20 years. But when they get there, they're going to hope and they're going to put pressure on us that we better have raised them knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. They better have experienced the life themselves. They better know how to call out to God from their heart and pray. They better know that when times are tough, they can go to their bedroom and say, Heavenly Father, please help me. Because if they only sit in that corner and vaguely hear us talking about the Lord, it's not going to cut the mustard when the pressure and the heat comes on them. They must know the Lord in their own heart. Can I get an amen? I need to wrap this up. So I've got three practical things that can help all of us. Whether you have children that are young enough to be at home still, whether your children are adults, whether you have children. We all, regardless of those situations, we all have a role to play in making sure the next generation comes through. And to train that next generation that they are not the last generation. This is one of the things that I'm really passionate about is sometimes we head in the right direction talking about next gen, but we let them believe that they are last gen. How many of you have had a moment or two? Let's have an honesty survey. This will apply to those over the age of 30. How many of you have had a moment or two where you've gotten sick and tired of hearing about the special needs of the millennials? Oh, they're such a unique generation and we've got to do this and we've got to, you know, if you don't like, if you don't feed them all their lunch at work and if you don't give them a table tennis table uh, and if you don't give them a big lounge room to sit down in for three hours, you won't get the best out of them. Well, as far as I'm concerned, they can go work somewhere else. I don't care. We've got to be careful that we don't buy into this thing that they are so unique because I can tell you what the byproduct is. The byproduct is pampering. The byproduct is cotton wool when actually what they need is they need a strong word in their heart to say, you can be an overcomer. You've got what it takes to achieve and survive in this world. God is with you. God has not left you stranded instead of a lot of the babying. Because when we do that, we might bring one generation through, but having come through, they forget to turn around and bring the next one through. The house of God is always only a couple of generations away from think about that for a moment now I thank God often in our churches for families and for people who have held the ground people who have stuck it out people who have stayed people who could have left let's have another survey put your hand up if you've had at least one moment maybe two but at least one moment where you've thought about not going back to church 
and Paul, no way. I thought you were a Christian. I can't believe it. Only about four of you were honest and the rest of you went, oh, just wait and see who else puts their hand up. I think about it every third Sunday and I'm the pastor of the church. <laughs> but I don't do it, why? Because I'm committed to the house of God. I don't wait to feel if I'm committed. I've decided I'm committed. Are you feeling this, Jenny? Jenny likes this kind of preaching. I've got to be careful I don't look at Jenny too much because she'll give me vibes of, oh yeah, push a bit stronger. It's Mother's Day, Jenny. I've got to stay a little bit calm. Next week? Okay. I'll stay sweet. Okay. I'm not real good at sweet. I'll leave that to my wife. She's better at that than me. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So we've got this grand responsibility, whether we are parents of young ones, parents of grown ones, not biological parents at all, bring the next generation through in the house of God. Here's three practical tips of how we can do it. And then I'm going to ask, actually, Jenny, you can come now if that would be okay. Number one, pray daily. Especially those of you who do have children at home, find a way. In our house, we found a simple way that our children get prayed for at least at school drop-off. And for... Olivia likes to disappear to her bedroom without nighttime prayers. Every now and then I still go into her room and I do this thing where I say, all right, cuddle prayers, and then I hold her tight, and then halfway through my prayer I pretend to fall asleep and collapse my 94 kilos on her. And she nearly suffocates, but it's just a little... And then I have this... She's got a lamp next to her bed. This is her favourite. <laughs> She's got a lamp next to her bed. And when the lamp goes out, the whole room goes very dark, as you can imagine. And so I put my hand just on, it's one of those touch lamps where you just touch it and it goes out. So what I do is I make sure she's looking at me and I, I get ready to turn the lamp off. I say, good night, Liv. And I go, Aah! like that. And then I turn the lamp off so that that's her last picture before she goes to sleep. That's really helpful. <laughs> so let that fill your dreams. But we pray for them at bedtime. We pray for them at school drop-off. And do you know what? We don't have to go into rolling on the floor, spitting and yelling out loud shundy bundies in order for it to be an effective prayer. It's just simple and it's Bible-based, but it's from the heart. So for example, this is what a school drop-off prayer would sound like in our car for our children. We say, Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for the sun or the rain, if it's raining. And then I will go like this. I don't know how Claire does it because i do not not in the car when she does drop off, but I'll go like this. I touch both their legs because that's what's closest. So please bless Olivia today. Give her wisdom. Help her to be a wise decision maker. Please bless her friendships, Lord. Help her to study. Help her to be reminded of your love. And then I'll turn around because little man over there, he's in the back seat and I'll grab his leg and he'll usually grab my hand and pull my hand up to his face and by then I'm contorting and trying to drive the car down the driveway and I'll pray the same prayer I'll say simple but powerful things help them to be strong help them to know your love I don't think we should underestimate these kinds of prayers piling up day after day Kieran if you don't like my preaching you don't have to switch me off halfway through really he's giving me the he's giving me the wind up is this the Academy Awards music, is it? Your speech is over, buddy. <laughs> Simple prayers. Pray daily. School drop off. Bedtime tuck in. While you're eating breakfast. That's the first one. Pray daily. In our house, we've made up our mind. Our children are not going to grow up and not know the Lord. Now, whether they follow Him is going to be up to them in time. But they're going to know the Lord. Number two. This one's really important. Talk about blessings. Did I hear a special little, did I hear a, tr- did I hear a trombone over there, Emma? 
<laughs> it was the shoes on the floor. <laughs> that's awkward. Yeah, that's, what you need over there is like a Labrador or something so you can blame the dog. I just heard a little trombone toot over there. I don't know who it was, but anyway. Distracted me. <laughs> Sorry about that. Point two, talk about blessings. So many people in our world are negative and ungrateful. Liv and I were having a chat in the car yesterday and I'm not going to spoil the secrets of who who and what we were talking about, but this idea came up that there you know, so many kids who are constantly whinging about the school they have to go to. And the situation we were talking about is a really, really easy to get along private Christian school. And I got a bit irked on the inside, I've got to say, because I thought, mate... These kids don't have the slightest clue what hardship is, but they're whinging all the time. And some of them apparently whinging to their parents, I want to go to a public school. And I thought to myself, you don't want to go to the public school I went to, kid, because you wouldn't make it past halfway through lunch. Not without going to like the nurse to get things patched up and all the rest. And I thought, how sad that we're living in the world we're in where young people are being allowed to foster an environment of ingratitude around themselves when we're probably living in especially with what's going on in the world right now we're probably living in the safest most blessed country on the planet top 10 at least what does it happen it happens when conversation is allowed to go to complaining and nobody tries to lift the tide to talk about blessings we can all do it I can go there but it's so important we intentionally talk about blessings. How good is God? How kind has He been? He's faithful to His promises. And to talk about the simple blessings that matter. We ate dinner last night, as we do every single night of our lives. We slept in a warm house. We get driven to school. Our parents love us, etc., etc. Talk about blessings. Number three. Use real issues to teach real truth. I find today so many parents are afraid of what to say to their kids. Part of the reason they're fearful is because they won't join the conversation. Some pastors coached Claire and I many years ago about a certain matter in parenting and they gave us this wise tip. They said, if you're not one of the first to talk about tricky subjects, your children will conclude in their mind that you don't know anything about the subject go looking somewhere else to find answers. Mums and dads, whether it's biological or spiritual, we must engage conversation about tricky issues. On a spiritual level, this is why at our Mount Annan campus in a couple of weeks, we're hosting a night that we're calling Think About It. We're having like a forum with question and answer to talk about all of the hot issues that we're all hearing every day, but people aren't having the opportunity to have mature conversation about. We have to use real issues to teach real truth. And especially for the mums and dads, can I urge you, do not let the government raise your children. (laughs) Hello? (laughs) What does that mean? Don't be silent in the face of, oh, well, you know, the public education system is teaching my children there's 174 genders bollocks there's two male and female 
You go, oh, Pastor Andrew, that's a bit strong. I have to be strong. We're being bombarded with garbage every single day to the point where Christian parents are afraid to speak up about stuff that's common sense truth in the Word of God. But if you say nothing, our children believe that we're at a loss. We don't know. And so they go looking elsewhere. They talk to their friends. They listen to social media. They listen to everything else. We have to use real issues to teach real truth. Pray daily. Talk about blessings teach truth. Why? I don't want it said about me. I don't think any of us want it said about us that when we shuffled off, because <laughs> we're all going to shuffle off sooner or later. Jenny said she's going to live to 110. She probably will. <laughs> Whenever our time comes, we don't want the story in our aftermath to be they allowed a generation to arise who did not know the Lord. Because when they don't know the Lord, they will go and follow other idols. Why don't we stand on our feet? Let's pray this We hope you've been encouraged by this message. For more information about C3 New Hope and its locations, please visit our website at c3newhope.com.au.